Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Kelly, and welcome to The Millennial Minimalists. We are two Canadian millennials and minimalists on a mission to live more with less. And together, our goal is to inspire you to design a simpler, more intentional life. Hi everyone, today we're talking about the importance of mental fitness and how exercise in the mind is just as essential to our well-being as physical exercise. And to lead this conversation for a second time on the podcast, I'm speaking with mental fitness guru and host of the popular Behind the Human podcast, Mark Champagne. Mark formally co-founded and ran a journaling app called Keo that reached over 86 million people worldwide. And today he consults with Fortune 500 companies as a mental fitness strategist and speaker. This month on October 19th, Mark launches his first book titled Personal Socrates, questions that will upgrade your life from legends and world-class performers. And in this work, he unpacks the mental fitness practices and reflective questions shaping the lives of some of the world's most brilliant thinkers, including Kobe Bryant, James Clear, Coco Chanel, and Stephen Hawking, to name a few. And in our discussion today, Mark and I talk about what it means to be mentally fit, the different components of mental fitness, time-tested practices of some of the most influential thought leaders, and powerful questions we can ask ourselves to help us prioritize mental exercise. Be inspired by the benefits of activating and resting your mind, and be motivated to adopt mental fitness practices to help bring clarity, intentionality, and possibility to your everyday. So Mark, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to have you back on the pod for a second time and congratulations on your first book. How does it feel to finally release it? It feels crazy because I never envisioned writing a book and you know, I'm looking at it now there's an early copy of it. You know, once you start once you actually hold it in your hands after especially after a year of writing and the, the, then another year of, of putting it together, it's just magical. Mm-hmm. Really, that's the only way I can describe it. You must feel so grateful. Like, and I'm also so proud of you. You are a close friend of mine. And for, for a quick background for our listeners, we initially met a few years ago through a monthly community event at Shopify Toronto that I'd co-founded and run, where you were a guest speaker and also an active attendee. And I want to tell you that I'll never forget our first conversation. You spoke about mental fitness and you were so passionate in your words. And I have to say that you were the first person to inspire me to think about exercising my mind the same way I do physical exercise. You made me think about how much time a week do I spend on physical exercise? And, and you made me question, how many hours do I spend on keeping my mind in shape? And, and, and it's amazing. Like, I would say you were the person, Mark. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Kelly. Well, yeah. there's actually, there's, there's, there's a the flip side to that. Because after I started following your work, and especially after we had the, the first, um, no, but it would have been before the, before the first podcast, just in conversation, there was a link drawn. And I, I literally use this example all the time about how we can think about mental fitness from the perspective of the physical world, right? And when you think of minimalism and, you know, looking at a physical room, and if you open the door and the room is full from floor to ceiling with boxes jammed with stuff, you know, how do you navigate the room? And our minds being exactly the same way, right? Like we have, if those boxes are full of of books and knowledge and information, it's all there. Just we can't see the back of the room or, or can't see the path until we can blow out some of that clutter and same thing in our minds. Then all of a sudden we, can, we have the connection points. So that that example actually came from just working with, obviously with and, and having chats with you and Lauren over the years. And I feel like it seems to land on, on in other conversations, but it's it's an example that people understand. So I thank you for that. Oh, no, no, definitely. I'm, I'm looking at your space uh, through our video recording now, and it looks very minimal, so I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, there's not much room to move around in this little recording booth, but it is definitely minimal and organized. Yeah, which is great, which is great. It clears the mind, it clears the mind. I can say that I, I, I have been making more time for mental fitness more than ever. And uh, so today I'm excited to share your wisdom with our listeners. So to start off, Can you first describe what mental fitness is and then go into why exercising our minds is just as important as exercising our bodies? Yeah, absolutely. So mental fitness, 
I mean, now it's being discussed uh, definitely a lot more now, which is is nice in in that language. But I, I remember, I guess, four years ago now, when we we started the journaling app Keo, that language was used, or at least I was using that language out of necessity because people were having a hard time grasping what journaling was, and or they would think about journaling from you know the perspective of oh, you're talking about the twelve year old girl writing her diary about the boy at school type thing. And again, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. But secondly, that's not how I was journaling or how I was seeing people from uh, all different walks of life that, that seemed like they were thriving personally and professionally, how they were using journaling. And they were using it in a way that was stimulating the, their, the training for their mind, essentially. So I started using mental fitness because... It's also it's it's a it's more of a motivating term for one thing because then you get mental health looped into that as well, which we all know. I mean, there's there's definitely more conversation and open conversation about mental health, which is fantastic. But there's still a lot of stigma attached to it. So when you think of mental fitness, I think of it as the umbrella of really anything that you're doing to train your mind or to process emotion or mental health or mental resiliency or mental performance. So now all of a sudden you're, you know, you know, you're speaking in terms just like physical fitness that feels like, okay, I'm going to take the next step to go for a run today. And I'm, I'm taking that, you know, that making that decision. So the same thing with our, our mental fitness, it just, it feels lighter and it feels more like, yeah, we're, we're behind that, for example. So, so that's, you know, where the, the terminology came up and, and now it's being discussed more and more, which is nice, like I said, nice to see, because it's something that I'm biased, obviously, but I think mental fitness is probably, if you're going to prioritize, if you have to start somewhere and you have to prioritize one thing, I would say it should be mental fitness because the mental fitness or your mind is what's telling you to go for the run in the first place. And if there's a disconnect there, then the, the chances of your physical fitness or really anything else, you know, the chances of not doing that are, are higher, for example. So if we can prioritize our, our mental fitness, be clear, be intentional with what we're doing, then, you know, we just have a higher probability of success in everything else that we want to do. We'll have more motivation to get out there and exercise, physically exercise. Yeah. No, yeah. that's true. That's true. I was on the opposite end. I was someone who was always exercising my body. Uh, yeah. And in many ways, I was activating my mind by reading and taking new ch- on new challenges, like taking a new course and things like that. But I quickly learned that I wasn't taking on any restful mental fitness exercises. And actually, I should mention that this week, I have put myself up against a two-week meditation challenge. So Ooh. I'm on day five. So this is my fifth day of going to a meditation studio in Toronto. And I can already tell you, I've felt such amazing results so far. I mean, I already have a clear mind. I feel like I'm moving at a slower pace, yet I also feel as though I'm accomplishing more. I'm less reactive to the things that happen in my day to day. And I also feel less of an urge to stimulate my mind 24 seven. I'm the kind of person who would be, okay, I'm going to work, 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 work. Then I'm going to go take my walk break. But on my walk break, I'm going to listen to this podcast, this podcast, this podcast. Yeah. I just never let, yeah. I never let my, my mind just rest and recharge and meditation. Wow. It's incredible. I mean, it not only allows you to clear your mind in that moment, it, it also causes your thoughts to kind of rise so that mm-hmm. you're more clear of what are those thoughts? What are those emotional, you know, what are those ideas that are in the back of my mind that are still sitting there that I haven't really reflected on or thought about or processed? Yeah. And in some ways, it's also a challenge in that way, because sometimes it's like hard to think about these things that you've kind of like put on the back burner in your mind, but it's so important to push through them. So yeah, it's been an amazing yeah. And so I thought I wanted to share that with you. It would be amazing one day if we could say, you know, I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, like uh, maybe five years ago, I don't think I would have shown on social media or told all my friends, oh yeah, I'm going to a meditation studio every day. But now I feel like there isn't that stigma. It's like really cool now. So right. I remember again, going back to the early days of starting the the journaling app, because again, that was around that time, uh, 
some of the meditation apps were really starting to take off, like Calm and Headspace. And it was it's kind of like the mainstream adoption or the start of the adoption of these practices, seeing that they're not just for this specific segment of people that are going on, you know, a silent retreat or a Vipassana retreat or something like that, right? And I always remember thinking, like, at one point, we're going we're gonna to speak of meditation and journaling and all these different, pra- like, breathwork's another one, just like, you know, if we're meeting someone for dinner, be like, yeah, I'll be there. I just, I'm going to go for a run first. And I feel like we're getting really close to like, yeah, I just, I'm going to pop in the meditation studio that I'll meet you there. And it's normal, which is so exciting because there's, as you just men- mentioned, there's just so much benefit. And then once you start there, you know, there are just so many other practices that you can explore with or explore. And they all, from my opinion, basically give us the luxury of the pause. You know, mm-hmm. the microsecond pause between reacting to something or responding to something with intention. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a minute. It's literally microseconds at time, but it's enough to to really make a different decision or really decide to either focus on what you can control or what you can't control. And, and that completely shifts the outcome of your day. Right? Mm-hmm. Just one simple little pause or one question can literally change your mood in a second and how the rest of the day, which then rest of the, the, the days or weeks and months, it all just compounds, right? Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and you know, you also have the opportunity to do it on your own. And you also have the opportunity yeah. to be a part of a studio, be a part of a group who's doing it together. For me, it, it works like the gym, right? You know, you, you have that membership so that you'll go to the gym, right? And so I got this yeah. membership with the meditation studio so that I would actually go because I know I'm paying for it. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and you know, it's, it's very, in, it's quite inexpensive, but again, you don't actually have to go to a physical studio. But for me, I know that I know, need that motivation to go somewhere or I won't do it on my own. Yeah. So. Well, how's it been though, Kelly, just with, with, a group of people because there's also an energy exchange there that happens that's different than when you're on on your own so how's that been for you so it's funny you mentioned that so one of the instructors i think it was my second meditation class she mentioned she spoke about feeling the energy in the room from those around you and i was thinking oh yeah that's a thing you know we're all energy yeah it's true i just i just you know, I never really thought about that. I was like, well, maybe that's why I enjoy this a lot more than doing it on my own. I also feel like when other people are around me focusing, it's easier for me to focus and feel like, oh, you know, it's okay for me to disconnect because there's people around me disconnecting. Isn't that weird? It's like, it's like when you, you know, it's like Christmas time, you know, everybody's disconnecting. So you're like, okay, well, it's easier for me to disconnect. But it's hard for people to take vacation during the year because they're like, there's people working 24 seven right now and they're, you know, they're ahead of me, you know, but again, it's not a race. It's not a race. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it you're, you're, you're bang on. I mean, just having, having people around you and, and it's almost, especially in a setting like that, it's almost like an unsaid support system, right? That they're there. Obviously you're all there for the same reason and no one has to to, to speak of supporting each other, but just being there and being present in the room together essentially is providing that. Right. And it's so true. Like, I mean, at the end of the year, Christmas, I mean, it's just the natural time. Things just slow down and uh, it's a great place, you know, or a great period to, to do that reflection. But then also, you know, we've got to, I think we need to do better as a society in general to find those micro moments of reflection throughout the weeks that we can take, you know, the benefit that we all feel and see when we, we slow down during that end of year pro- uh, time to process and, and, you know, set some objectives and whatnot. We can do that consistently in a smaller time period. And then that the, the benefits of those practices show up day in, day out. And then we won't need that long vacation because we've had these moments throughout our every day that help yeah. us connect. You know, we... I remember I used to be that person. Oh gosh, I need a vacation. But now I feel like by, you know, working my mind, but also working my body, I've, I've created that space in my life that I don't yearn for that week off or whatever. So, and I'm that's inundated. Huge. Yeah. So I actually write about that example. I have an example like that. That's in the book where when I was in the corporate world, I remember I was traveling a lot and 
again, you know, going to these these great places for these conferences and from the outside, obviously that seems fantastic. But anyone that that is traveling for work knows that sure, it's great to go somewhere, but usually your work triples in those scenarios, right? Like mm-hmm. you're on all day, all night. You still have to do your regular work plus whatever is going on and you're meeting with people and whatnot. And I remember thinking the exact same thing as you. It's just like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't wait to basically look forward to, you know, a month from now when I have that scheduled time off or whatever it is. And at one point, I, I think I was in somewhere in Europe. And I remember just thinking, because I was staying about maybe 15 or 20 minutes in a, from the, the conference hall that I was supposed to be at, the, the distance between the hotel and the, the conference hall. And normally, I would, you know, have a taxi or Uber or whatever. And, and, and between the, the period of kind of getting up and jumping into the taxi to get to the place, I would cram out as many or bang out as many email replies as possible mm. to eventually just think, you know what, I'm just going to start walking to the conference and forget the emails. I mean, the, the emails, they can wait till later or something like that, but just actually be present with, I'm in a new city, I can experience these new sights and sounds and just be present with what's around. And just, you know, slowly bringing those, those again, those micro moments of, of pausing and, you know, what, what we would normally do on a vacation, right? We're, we're, we're roaming around, we're looking around, we're experiencing a new culture and, and new things and just take, you know, in this case, it's 20 minutes, but 20 minutes to really arrive there present and feeling good. And what I noticed too, and people can probably resonate or relate to this, is that then, you know, I'd get back in the evening and try to look at those emails and most of those problems have been sorted out. Like people figure things yes, out, right? When the that. person is not there. So it was a win-win in it all together. But the main thing being to your point is that from that moment forward, I was just trying to inject those types of moments throughout the throughout the months so that it was never the scenario of, of I have to take a vacation. You know, obviously I'd still have them all scheduled, but it, it's different being, it, it's a different situation that you have you have to get to the vacation versus like you're excited to get to the vacation. Yeah, no, exactly. Right? You know, I, you make a good point. I think a lot of us can start to, ask ourselves an important question every day is this urgent you know is that is is spending your time in your in the cab on the way to x event to x event sending emails important you know those emails you can look at them at the end of the day you can look at them later they're probably not urgent if it was urgent they would probably be texting you or calling you right so yeah so yeah i I usually like to say that if it's urgent they're probably texting you or calling you and uh, yeah i like that reminder but uh, but so i want to know mark so to you what does it mean to be mentally fit Hmm. being mentally fit just like being physically fit is is definitely a journey and i don't think it's something that we you know arrive at a certain point and just decide oh i i I guess I'm done type thing, right? There's always there's always something else or there's all, there are always objectives or goals and whatnot that we want to continue working to improve our mental fitness or our physical fitness. But overall, I would say, you know, that feeling of waking up feeling happy and satisfied and, you know, with an internal narrative around like I am enough or I'm I'm putting in my best effort. And I'm motivated for uh, the day and excited to work on, you know, the projects that I have here. And that I also know that I have tools that as things come up or as life plays out for all of us, there will be emotionally charged situations. There will be those emails or those conversations that will strike up a reaction. But when I'm mentally fit, I know that I have that pause. And again, and I know that you know, maybe I need some more meditation today, or maybe it's some visualization work or some breath work, or maybe I just need to ask a few questions and do some journaling. But just the idea of knowing that you have a toolkit with you and that you could process and and navigate through, you know, different events that normally, if you, if you weren't mentally fit, could literally throw your life into a tailspin, especially your day, right? Especially your day. That's how I think about being mentally fit. And again, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's a process. These are practices for a reason. We're practicing them, right? But the more you do it, as you're experiencing, the more self-aware you become. 
the more that you're zooming up to like that 30,000 foot view and, and time slows a bit and you make the decision, the more intentional you are with your your reactions, your thoughts, the actions that you that you have. And then when, when those two things happen in, in combination and we're clear on where, where we are now, where we want to go and, and like who we're striving to become essentially and marry that up with intentional actions, then just possibilities start showing up mm-hmm. or opportunities start showing up. I shouldn't say showing up. They're always there. It just, again, comes back to that physical example of, well, we just cleaned up the room. So now we can see in the back corner of the room, like, oh, well, that's where I need to go. That's the person I need to speak with, or that's the idea. That's how I can navigate around this challenge. Because we have that that mental clarity and our minds in this this creation state where we're excited and eager and motivated. And it's just, it's a beautiful feeling once you can get to that. Yeah. What I'm getting from you is that it's really just a positive state of being, a positive state of mind and a level of awareness of our mind, right? Having that clarity so that we can move in the world and think and act and feel and and, and be positive in most of those scenarios. And even in the hard times, I know, you know, we've all had those ups and downs and those crashes, but it's, it's having this state of being will help us come back up, right? We'll help us back up. And I actually just uh, recently interviewed our favorite author, Greg McEwen, who wrote the book Effortless. And he talks about the importance of moving through life in an effortless state. And I see an effortless state as similar to a mentally fit state. He defines an effortless state as when we are physically rested, emotionally unburdened, and mentally energized. You're completely aware, alert, present, attentive, and focused on what's important in this moment. And I love that. I was like, that's exactly what it is. It's like, it's like being at peace mentally. And you know, there is people like you, there's other people in my life where you know, you come up to them and there's just this aura of not just positivity, but just, they just seem very at peace. And the majority of those people in my life have some type of regimen. They either do meditation, they journal. And so there definitely is a correlation there. And you can definitely feel the energy from those around you who are really working on themselves first. Uh, And then, you know, obviously, there's some of us who are kind of just running around, not knowing what to do and just, you know, needing that vacation a month from now. Right. And I can say that yeah. I was one of those people and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to change that and you were as well. And yeah. one thing I've noticed about you over the years is that you and I, we share that positive mindset and we always try to find the positive in things. And yeah. I, and I love that. And I, but at the same time, you know, you and I are probably people who have also had challenges, but we don't show it. So there's those ways, you know, meditation again, journaling, going for a walk without your AirPods, things like that, that you can do to really, you know, de-stress and manage thoughts that don't really serve you. So, yeah, I think it's it's just being able to recognize those moments, right? Mm -hmm. And just even, even with this book launch, I mean, there, in my opinion, there, there are two tracks I could take. It could be the super stressed and trying to nail every part of the the puzzle with perfection and because there's recipes for all these different things about hitting lists and this and that i mean it, there's there's there are no secrets to that or you know put a plan together with the team that that feels right that feels comfortable follow it and just enjoy the journey mm-hmm. you know, like enjoy the fact that you know selfishly, you know, you and I get to talk again about the book is bringing us together. I mean, we we would talk anyway, but just being present with you on this conversation and the fact that I know once I, you know, exit out of this Zoom, I'm going to be energized and happy and excited because that's just, you know, that's always been our relationship and and the energy we share. I mean, that's the gift of, of, and that's the journey. Forget the, you know, how things do it all play out at the end. But if you just, if you can, realize or at least i'm trying to do this and and it's through the practices that i can see that you know what i'm doing my best and what you know right what will happen will will happen and i only get this experience once there'll Mm -hmm. be other books there'll be other projects but i only get this one once so enjoy it 
Yeah. Right? Just yeah. enjoy it. There is a lot of that pressure. You release something or you accomplish X and then you feel like you need to reach certain levels. And I actually had that feeling the other day and I said, just relax, just do your best work. Just keep, keep moving forward. Just don't think about all the other stuff and just have that focus, keep on track and things will, things will develop as they do at the pace that they're supposed to. So don't worry about yeah. that. So yeah, that, I think that's really, yeah. really helpful. And uh, yeah, I, something else I want to ask you is what are the two main components of mental fitness? Because mental fitness is not just about, you know, uh, relaxing our minds, but it's also about activating our minds, you know, energizing yes. our minds, you know, growing our brains, right? So, so I'd yeah, love yeah. to know, how do you navigate that? You know, I, I did in my research, but I just want to know, understand how you see the two parts of mental fitness. I'm glad you brought that up because even, even with myself, I have to remind myself that there, there is this whole other beautiful side to mental fitness that I feel is less discussed because we, we gravitate towards the, realistically the, the scenarios that a lot of us are in much of the day or, or much of our lives, which they're stressful scenarios. And like, can we, can we bring in tools to help relieve that stress or process emotion and all that kind of stuff, right? Which is what we just finished talking about. But then, you know, which is great. I mean, that, that's fantastic. And I'm glad we have that. But there's this whole other side of priming your mind that the, the easiest examples or the, the, the most relatable examples I think that I could provide are uh, that people would relate to would be like Olympic level athletes or high level athletes that are visualizing their, their downhill ski run or their speed skating or whatever the event is. You know, we've heard, we've heard that time and time again about visualizing the experience and playing through it. And then when you get to the actual event, you've kind of already been there or you're, it feels a little bit more comfortable and known. Well, that's mental fitness. I mean, that's, that's a visualization and a priming technique that we can all do throughout our day as well as events, right? I do this often if, if I have to give some sort of keynote or talk. First question I ask, how do I want the people on the other side to feel after the delivery of what I'm about to say? Hmm. One word. doesn't have to be complicated. I want them to feel empowered or I want them to feel motivated. So already I'm going into the scenario with an objective that my mind is going to subconsciously pull the right things to make sure that that happens or at least guide the process in making that happen, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going to answer that uh, with, a, with an answer like I want the, the audience to feel uh, terrible after the presentation, right? Which is, which is the other narrative that often we go in with like, cause we're, we're fearful. Well, what if they don't like it? What if, uh, you know, I mess up here, you know, like that's the whole other side that we can enter in a, into a situation versus just pausing that and setting an intention and, and going the other route. So, you know, that's one thing. The other big one, and I've written about this in, in the book, and this is the one I use the most. I actually, I journaled last night in, on this practice or using this practice, but I think, yeah, you're definitely familiar with that, with Naveen Jain, mm -hmm. uh, who is a, who's a, a tech billionaire. And I, I, I hate when I say billionaire, I, I like to say billionaire for him because he's the kindest billionaire that I've ever met in my life that I literally, if I emailed him now, probably would have a message within or reply within a couple hours. Just someone that makes you feel like you're just as important as him. And he's, yeah. you know, he's grounded in that sense. And he shared this beautiful practice and language around imagine if, imagine if this was possible, you know, and, and journaling on what would that look like? And when you start using that language, you break down all the limiting beliefs, you break down all the rules that we set up for society. I mean, he's running companies that are, you know, in relation to making uh, chronic disease uh, a choice. Or, or basically eradicating chronic disease. I mean, those are you know, not small problems. Or he's, his company is one of the, the only companies, I think, privately licensed to land on the moon and, and do work on the moon, for example. So the, these are big kind of global challenges to solve. But he approaches them from this, this imagination or this imagine-if language that when you start priming your mind into that state, then all of a sudden, okay, well, if this if this was possible, then, or if this is possible, I should say, 
then who do I need to speak with or what do I need to do next? And you're, you're already, you're just, you're on that pro like that progressing path versus being stuck in, well, I don't think we can do that. It's not, uh, no one's done that before, for example. So we can do that with our, with our lives. It's a beautiful, what I did last night is a beautiful journaling exercise to go to sleep on because I just played out the, the, the scene to my own movie, essentially. So, you know, imagine if this happened and, you know, then all of a sudden this opportunity just showed up, like, what would that look like? And you fall asleep in this, this way that is just so motivated. And then your mind works on that while you sleep as well, right? And all of a sudden things start to happen again. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a coincidence when these, these, you know, people call or opportunities present themselves when you're doing this type of training, because you're, you're setting up the groundwork to do that or for those things to to show up. So this is an example of some of the reflective questions that we can ask ourselves, right? I mean, within this celebrated group of individuals that you've researched or interviewed, uh, I'm hoping you can share some of these questions that they've asked or consistently asked themselves to upgrade their lives and keep on track. You know, one that comes to mind that really you can't go wrong uh, asking this, but there's there's a profile on Chip Conley and his question is around just how can I be the most curious person in the room? And as you work through the profile, the final thought to that that profile is base or the the, the realization is basically that the most curious person in the room is also the most present person. Mm-hmm. So if you you go into asking, you know, go into a question like that, thinking about your presence when on, you know, a lot of the meetings that we're having these days are virtual or Zoom where we think we can trick ourselves to not being present and people won't know, but we all know when that's happening, right? Versus like really being dialed into the conversation and, and doing everything possible not to think of your response or the next thing you want to ask and just listening and being there. That sparks and trains those curiosity muscles or back to your example of taking a walk without the podcast or without the airpods and music and audiobook and whatnot and just being present to actually walking and what you're seeing what you're hearing what's happening around that's also again training those curiosity muscles to see the detail which then shows up when we're actually doing our work as well. Then we start seeing the details that we may have missed in the past. It's all linked, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, this, it's not, these aren't practices that are, are unattainable. They're, I mean, for me, I still, I do everything possible most days to just literally just take a 10 minute walk after lunch. Just, you know, A, there's, there's physical benefits there in terms of processing your food and all of that mm-hmm. and glucose responses and things like that. But then it's just, it's like a nice recharge or reset to, to go into the afternoon with a clear mind. And it's 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be crazy, right? But these things add up. And then you stack on these practices throughout the day. And all of a sudden, now you're really starting to see, you know, a lot more clearly. And you feel better, right? You end the day feeling great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love this idea of, again, going for a walk without any... AirPods or any any podcast playing in your ears or music, uh, music's okay. But just just to not just see what's around you, but to notice. And I think it was Greg yeah. when he said that he's like, "Don't just see, notice." And Lauren and I, we actually have an upcoming uh, little vacation, little getaway, and uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to disconnect and just be present with her, with you know, a new city the nature, everything. Uh, because I think, I think we all need that. And again, if we can incorporate them into our everyday, that'd be amazing. But also on uh, the, the individual that you gave an example of on curiosity, you know, I, there's a beautiful quote. It says to be interesting, be interested, right? Be interested, ask questions, be engaged, learn about someone else, you know? We, we know enough yeah. about ourselves, like, <laughs> like yeah. ask questions, get to know someone, you know, and, in, yeah. and, and again, that's why people become more interesting because they're interested, you know, by someone asking totally. me questions, I'm going to think that they're more interesting because they're yeah. interested, right? So, yeah, you know, well, that's- well, and you're, and you're asking the right questions and you're, 
you know, you're learning, you're, you're present. And to your point, like people feel that, right. We've all been in the scenario where you're at a conference or at some sort of event and someone's speaking to you and they're looking over your shoulder, kind of almost like eyeing up the next person type thing. That's the most yeah. terrible feeling ever. Right. So if you can be really one or, or, you know, you're at dinner or, or doing something and, and someone is just constantly replying and checking their phone. It's another version of that. I mean, that you feel that as the other person on the other side, right? So again, small things, just being present and noticing, you know, the eye color of the person in front of you. If you, if it's the first time you've met or the small details that they've shared that, you know, maybe next time you meet like, oh yeah, you have a five-year-old or you just went to Italy or things like, you know, those things matter. Those, mm -hmm. those matter. And people remember that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Something that I, I heard on a podcast recently, I forget which one it was, but it was about, hey, what is a question that you can ask yourself that will motivate you to work on your mental fitness, on exercising your brain? And the interviewee hmm. said something to the likes of, well, I think about my purpose statement. So I was thinking, okay, yeah. well, I'm going to think about my purpose statement. Well, for me personally, I believe that I want to be known for someone who connects people. I want to be known as a connector who really, really help people pursue the things that they're most passionate about. That is my purpose. My purpose is to connect people so that they can build on, work on projects that they're passionate about. And I want to see them thrive. So that is like what I, I believe that everybody has a gift. Lauren, for example, her gift is comedy. She makes people laugh. Yeah. And, and I love that. And, and for me, I make people, or my goal is to make people feel motivated and excited to do something that they're passionate about. And yeah. that is a question that makes me like, okay, so if I want to do that, what are the tools that I need to do for myself so that I'm in a good state of mind, that I show up present to these people? Right. And so working yeah. on these exercises will help me be my best self and keep on track. And, you know, but I, I'm curious because I'm, I always want to learn. I want to know what other exercises there are out there. And so like in your book, uh, Personal Socrates, which I love the title, Personal. It's Thank amazing. you. Thank you. Uh, you. You share the mental fitness practices of some of the world's most powerful thinkers, including Naveen Jain. Can you share some of the common exercises that they have adopted? I'm curious because I, and I know that our listeners are curious because I want to, I want to practice new things, right? I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to figure out there's new ways that I can, you know, exercise my brain. Absolutely. Well, the exciting part is that there is a formula to, uh, to doing this that I've done my best to simplify so that we don't even really have to think about it, um, but that we do it by default. And it, it's all, it's all baked or the backbone of this is, is based on the Socratic method and, and hence the, the title of the book, Personal Socrates. So just a bit of backstory on that. I knew just as much as most people probably know about Socrates, some philosopher back in the day asked a lot of questions. That's, that was kind of my baseline knowledge. And I think most people probably are at that same place. And it was the publisher of the book that actually suggested the title after I described kind of my process of, of, of questions and like the study of questions that I've been on over the last five years or so. And specifically the way that I was describing how a lot of these, these top thinkers and performers are also leveraging questions. And I remember the, the, the owner of the company of Baron Fig, Joey said, Oh, so, you know, the Socratic method. I'm like, the Socratic what? I mean, again, my, my understanding was, was pretty limited, but then when I started diving into the research and seeing, wow, I mean, here's a method that's literally been around since something like 469 BC. So, I mean, it stood the test of time. We're all doing it in some capacity without kind of knowing, but it's, it's always been discussed in an academic setting for the most part. And most of the literature around this and research around this is all in, in schools. And it's asking students a big question and then a follow-up question and then a question after that to bring more clarity and challenge assumptions and all that stuff. And, you know, it was interesting because there are these six question types that I, you know, I can't even rhyme them all off without opening the book to, 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 to reference that, which was the problem in the beginning, in the first place, because if we can't remember this and it's not simple, we're not going to implement it. So the combination of this method, as well as what I've been seeing with all of these people that I've interviewed over the years, 
breaks down to a really simple formula and is number one is spending time getting clear so questions to help bring clarity so back to it you know some of the examples that you were just bringing up but who am i optimizing to become who am i striving to become and then then you can jump into the next phase which is the second part which is is acting thinking and living with intention because then now well, do my habits and systems, the things, the meetings, the people, are those things supporting the person I'm trying to become or pulling me farther from that person? And that's the intentionality part. And when those two pieces link up together, the third part of, of the formula and the third part of this book happens by default because now, again, you see the possibility. There's an expansion of possibility because you, again, you can navigate, you know where to go and you're working, you're climbing the right mountain, if you will, for, for lack of better words. So it's super simple. It's just, you can run really anything through this, this frame of mind or method or formula. And all you have to remember is, okay, pause. I need to get clear first, understand where I'm at right now and where I want to be. That's it. There's a ton of different questions to help there, whether that's personally, uh, for your personal life, your business life, your relationships, all of that. Then it just becomes, okay, well then, what do I need to do, right? Who do, who do I need to speak with? What's the first step? What's one habit I can you know, bring into my daily routine that will help fulfill where I'm, where I'm trying to head? Simple stuff too, like as your coffee's brewing in the morning, maybe just asking one question of, how do I wanna show up today? for myself and others. Again, mm -hmm. it could just be one one word or, or one sentence, but you're you're priming your mind to 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 be that person that day. And that over time just stacks up to become the, the person you want to be. And then awesome things start to happen. Yeah. And then in that second pillar, you you can also reflect on what you're doing or what you're spending your time on that isn't in the direction or aligned with where you want to go. And yeah. I would say just some advice is the power of saying no, no really helped me help Lauren a lot. Lauren used to be a big yes, 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 yes person. And likewise, and I think a lot of us yeah. have were, and uh, yeah. now we're more mindful. We want to please. Yeah. We're, we're human. Yeah. yeah. We want to please and, you know, we want people to like us, but at the end of the yeah. day, the, the good ones will be understanding <laughs> if you say yeah. no. So yeah, that's a big part of it. And you're right. I mean, it's, again, I really think that mental fitness really is this big awareness piece, this self-awareness, like what, get clear on what you want, put in the pieces in, in the directions that you need to go and set intentions for the day every day. And that's what was great about Keo, your journaling app, because as part of that app, you could set that intention, you know? And again, we can always mm -hmm. write it in our own physical analog journal. Like, what is my intention today? What is my goal? I still keep a bullet journal, which we've done a recorded a couple oh, episodes yeah. on that now. And I, it's, I live by this book and it, it's really geeky, but I geek out on it because it keeps me on track. I could, I would say totally. it keeps me on track. So, so that's a big part, but um, I wanted to know, Mark, can you share a story of an influential thinker uh, who you've covered in the book, who radically transformed their lives by incorporating restful mental fitness practices into their everyday and, or what questions prompted their change? Sure. Well, we could, we can continue on the, the example we were we were speaking of um, yeah. because a lot of those thoughts are coming from a profile and it's the one on James Clear. And a lot of people know of him and uh, his work, uh, Atomic Habits. I think he's one of the most successful nonfiction authors right now in terms of his book being all over the place in the world. But I remember him sharing that, <clears throat> you know, when that was starting to happen for him, he was like, you know, obviously people may look at this as, oh, poor you type thing. You have all of this opportunity that's now coming in um, because of the success of the book. But people forget that, you know, the month before he was just the regular author, the regular writer, regular human, like the rest of us, essentially. And I remember him sharing again, just that these opportunities that would come in, that were coming in now by the handful each day, just one of those things would have made his month from uh you know a satisfaction and wow i did it like i got and now they're coming in and he had to say no 
Mm. Right. And back to that example. And, and, and that's when he left with me the idea that I had to get very clear on where I wanted to go. And then that way, when these opportunities come up, you, you, have, a, you have a decision matrix there ready to go because you know, okay, that one supports this, that one doesn't. So it's just a simple yes, no at that point. And you're just super clear and you feel better because you've already given the thought of, of what will help you progress forward, essentially, right? So that's one example. I think the other example, and I'll, I'll say this, this is a, a mix between something that changed my perspective on life and uh, I imagine helped this individual. And there's a, a profile on Picasso in the book. And something I didn't really realize and I think draws a lot of parallels to just how we kind of go through life. But if you, if, if you, everyone knows of Picasso and you've probably seen one of his, his pieces of art at one point in some capacity. But what I didn't know or realize until I went through all the research is all the different phases of his art. There was a blue phase where most of his art was kind of in a blue tint and whatnot. And during that point in his life, a lot say he was depressed. He had, I think it was his best friend had committed suicide and that's when that whole blue phase started. And then all of a sudden he met uh, his partner and I think they got married or they, they were really happy. And all of a sudden there was this whole phase of art that was as known as the rose phase. And in both of those, and there are other phases as well, but in both of those phases, phases, there are works of art within there that anyone would recognize that are legendary pieces. And I remember thinking, or the reflection was, our lives and, and, you know, in this case, Picasso's body of work, it's not just one section of work. It's not just one section of our life that makes up the entire journey, but it's the combination of all of those phases, right? And if we can slow down and just think about, well, what's, what color would I associate with the last 10 years of my life or last five years of my life, like write that out, write the, the last five years and what color would I associate or what are the characteristics I would associate that, that part in my life? And, you know, where am I now and where, you know, where would I like to go and how have those, those phases in the past kind of uh, helped guide me to where I'm at and just be present with, wow, you know, I've lived a lot of life, no matter what age you're at, there's stuff that has happened, right? That we can be grateful for, that we can learn from, and that it just makes, it, it makes, it brings for this feeling of, of lightness that this is just a phase and this is just, and this links to another profile with Jerry Colonna, who talks about all is impermanent. You know, we're just, mm -hmm. we're, we're here now, the good, the bad will all stop. It's just a phase we're going through. And in his case, uh, you know, it helped him not jump off a subway platform in New York City when he was one of the most successful investors around in the dot-com era. Uh, he was the founder of, or co-founder of Flatiron Partners. So everything outside looked really great for him, mm -hmm. but in the inside he was hurting yeah. and he shifted, right? He shifted from that and has actually helped save many people because of that. So again, it, it's just coming back to this idea of, slowing down and pausing and just seeing, you know, how life has unfolded, where, where we came from, where we're at, where we're heading, and then realizing, you know what, something bad, something good may happen, but that it's just a phase. It's just a phase. It'll, it, it'll pass. I love these questions. They already make me feel better. And I hope they already make our listeners feel better. I love when you said, what color would you paint the last five years of your life? That got yeah. me thinking. I, you know, and this is what your book is all about. It's all about asking those questions and those questions are actually super motivating. And that is the oh, best part you. about it. You know, and I think, so many of us know what to do when it comes to mental fitness in terms of, you know, the everyday, we should meditate, we should journal, we should read, we should take on a new challenge so that we can grow our minds. Yes. A lot of us, we know this stuff, but a lot of us, we don't make time for it. We're not making the time that we need for it. We're thinking about our physical exercise because that's how we grew up. We had gym class, but we never had meditation class. I'm, I'm, so hopeful, I'm hopeful we'll get there one day. Wouldn't that be amazing, Mark? Yeah. Uh, so 
how can we, and maybe using examples from James Clear, how can we make it easier to incorporate mental fitness exercises into our everyday? Because I know James Clear talks about turning these exercises into tiny habits so that we can incorporate them into our everyday. What is your take on that? Yeah. I, so this is something that, you know, I hope this is the, the, the thing that helps the most amount of people because it's, it, it can be easy to get started if you're doing things that make you happy or, you know, and you're not seeing this as it's just like exercise. Like if you hate running and you don't want to train for the marathon, and I'm using this example because I know you're a runner and so am I, but we like running. So it'd be easy for us to say, yeah, you know, you should run every day or run every second day. You'll feel great. You're going to feel like you're in a flow state, motivated, you'll clear your mind, you'll be thinking that works for you and I. But for a lot of people, that may not work. But that doesn't mean exercise doesn't work for you, right? There's a million other things that you can do. So it's the same thing with mental fitness. Maybe meditation isn't your thing. Maybe journaling isn't your thing. But there are so many other things that you can do. So I would encourage people to, to start with a couple buckets. Because if you can identify, these are, and, and, and I'm borrowing this concept from actually another Toronto native, uh, Robin Sharma. And he talks a lot about, he's the author of The the Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and a thousand other books. But he talks a lot about making sure you're doing something to learn, something to reflect, and something to move your body each day. And it doesn't have to be hours of this. It could be maybe it's 15 minutes is where you start. So maybe for your learning, you know, write down that that column heading in your in your journal or a piece of paper and just list out the things that you know make you feel good when it comes to learning. Maybe that's reading a couple pages in a book. Maybe that's listening to a podcast. Maybe that's taking in some art and looking at it and seeing what you can learn from that. Like whatever it is, whatever works, list those things out. Then reflection, you know, taking time to still your mind. Is that maybe a quiet walk or is that some journaling or is that your meditation or some breath work? You know, figure out the things that you know you would, you would love to try. And then movement comes into your, your physical exercise. And you can look. Now you have a list of all the things that you know that put a smile on your face without a shadow of a doubt. You can see, you can, you can look at that and compare that list with your actual calendar and the things that you do day in, day out. There's probably a disconnect. I was the same way. So now it's just about how do you incorporate those things into your day. And it's, again, not necessarily about, oh, I have to get up four hours earlier now to, to get this in. But list out everything that you do from start to finish to me again like for me the easiest one we're all for the most part we're all making a cup of tea or coffee or taking a glass of water the first thing we do when we wake up well maybe add in some of your reflection there or for me i read ryan holiday's daily stoic while my coffee's brewing i read one passage it's one page it sets my my mind in the right frame of mind every single morning without without question that takes seconds right and then you can move into your other areas or you can stack on the practices. If you're reading, if you're reading four pages, let's say, well, while you're reading those, slow down and write in the book or take notes and, and, and ask mm-hmm. some questions of like, how can I apply what I just read? Like what's relevant to me? That's how the book is structured. And that, I mean, in a perfect world, everyone, everyone will use it how, as they please. But the book was written in a way that they're two to four page profiles full of questions and stories so that people can use that as their mental fitness. And I just recorded the audiobook, so I know they're only six to nine minutes long. So it's not long. <laughs> and you can write in the book. And in the book, the reason the publisher is Baron Fig is because they make really great notebooks. They're the ones that created James Clear's habit tracking journal. So the book lays flat so you can actually write in pages aren't flopping around and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you can incorporate or, or, or combine some of these practices so now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're hitting on those, those buckets and it doesn't have to take a long time, but you'll probably start extending that time as you start feeling the benefits. That'll just mm-hmm. naturally happen. But most importantly, you've started, right? Yeah. And you're exactly. starting to see what's possible. And again, as you're saying, it's, it's much easier when you can stick a habit with another habit. You know, we already yeah. brew our coffee for X number of minutes. We can do something else at the same time. I, I believe it was BJ Fogg who 
thought of them, the concept of habit stacking. So yeah, which has yeah. really worked for me. I always, <laughs> whenever someone thinks like, especially when it gets really busy near my run, I was like, Oh, you know, sorry, I know you're so busy. I'm like, I, of course I have a minute. I have a few minutes. If we, if, if you can brush your teeth, I always say like with dating, yeah. stuff, you can brush your teeth. You can send the text. But yeah, no, it's uh, you know, you can always combine, uh, combine habits into your everyday, which makes it a lot easier to integrate it into your life. Right. And yeah. I was going to ask you how much time each day we should set aside for mental fitness, because I know for me, you know, I've got my my Apple Watch. I, I love the step counter on it. And uh, I always make sure that I get at least an hour of physical exercise to get my heartbeat up. But how much time should I really be spending on mental fitness? Right now, I'm doing 30-minute classes, which is great for me. Sure. But I think maybe, yeah. it, just, maybe it varies for everybody. It, it totally does. I mean, like for me, but again, keep in mind, um, I've incorporated this stuff into my routine for probably about 12 years now. So it's just like, I can't live essentially without these, these practices uh, or I would, you know, I, I feel it immediately if I stop something or something falls. So for me, I, you know, I prioritize uh, anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half early in the morning for my physical and mental fitness. And they're kind of 50, 50 in terms of time commitment. But the thing is, I've been doing it long enough to know that 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 hour literally dictates how the next 23 hours roll out, including how well I'm going to sleep, including how I'm going to feel waking up the next morning, how I'm going to perform in the day. So for me, that investment of time, uh, I've seen the effects of it, for example. But that might seem, you know, if someone's not doing uh, anything at this point, that might seem like a lot. You know, so I, again, I would encourage looking at your routine and seeing where you can layer some of this stuff in so it's not a huge time suck. I mean, let's just talk about brushing our teeth. Again, we all do it for, for the most part twice a day. Mm-hmm. Great time to throw in some gratitude is if you're brushing your teeth right before you go to bed, you ask this question while you're brushing, what can I celebrate today? Just yeah. something as simple as that. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with that. You're, you're, you're firing up a neurochemical cocktail, releasing dopamine and serotonin, all the feel-good chemicals. So you're feeling good because you're celebrating. You're, you're expressing mm-hmm. gratitude. You're also, when you're doing that, you're not thinking about what you didn't do today or have to do tomorrow. So now you're probably, if that normally keeps you up at night, you don't have that looping narrative running in your mind anymore. And you're going to sleep in this positive state of mind. So it, you know, there's just so much happening with literally one question. I mean, that's why I wrote a, a book about questions. I really believe we're all one question away from a completely different life at any point. We any really, point. really are. And and you, sorry, you yeah. brought up you brought up three different things that we can do every day. I believe it was what was it? Learn, reflect. What was the third one? And move. And move. Learn, reflect, and yeah. move. If we can just do one of each each day. You, you've really simplified it. I love that. I love that. It's just, just one little thing every single day. And again, for me, I love crossing it off because it makes me feel accomplished and yeah. you'll feel motivated in that because you, you'll know that you've, you've accomplished it every day. So I love that. That's so great. And, and, and the fact that there are these questions that you've already shared with me, you say, what was the last one you said? You said, um, oh, what, what am I going to celebrate? What am I celebrating? Or, yeah. What can I celebrate? What can I celebrate? Yeah. What a great question. What a great question. And you can, it just makes you grateful for the things that you do have and the things that you have accomplished. You know, we're always thinking, Lauren and I, we constantly deal with this. We're always thinking about, oh gosh, what we haven't accomplished yet. Stop doing that. We're hard on ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves. And, you know, and I, I was telling Lauren, I was like, Lauren, we're so hard on ourselves. And she's like, I know, I really want to go to meditation classes. She's going to, join me in that which I'm excited about but um but yeah at least we are aware of it and we're mindful of it and we are taking action to make sure that we can manage those thoughts right and so that's what it is it's that that awareness but uh, you know I have to close the conversation now I don't want to I can speak to the I know same ever Like I, I just you're you're just so calming and zen. I know our first two conversations were just incredible. If 
if some if some of you haven't checked it out, it's episode 47 titled Mental Minimalism. That's the first time Lauren and I interviewed you. And then you interviewed Lauren and I in episode 63 titled Our Minimalist Story on your podcast, yeah. Behind the Human, which was awesome. So thank you so much for that. But to to I want to leave our, our listeners with a couple more powerful questions that they can ask themselves each day uh, to keep themselves accountable and mentally fit. Can you think of a couple more? I can. I can. So the one that the, the one that I find is the, or the series of questions I should say that I find the most impactful and that's really changed my life is something, and this could be something to get you started then, which would be a weekly practice. And then you can start doing stuff more uh, on a daily basis or whatever feels right. But every Friday, I, I have what I call like PhD Fridays. And it's um, basically at usually around 3 or 4 p.m. I have a calendar invite for myself and I block 30 minutes. And it's, it's strategically not the, at the end of the day because at the end of the day, we're you know, especially on a Friday, we're like kind of rushing to complete things and, and whatnot. So that's not the time to do this. So if you pick a time in the middle of the day or middle of the afternoon where you can you know, not be feeling like you're rushed, that it's ideal. And I just asked three questions. What did I learn this week? What would I have changed this week? And again, what can I celebrate this week? Always finish with the gratitude piece because it's just a great way to finish a practice like that and it ties it up. And again, there's a whole bunch of things going on here. First of all, the weeks, our days, they go by fast. We forget half the things that we've done and half the situations that uh, happen that are good or bad. Right. So if we can take a look and the easiest way to do this is to just pull up your calendar and see where you spent your time and what happened or pull it. If you have a journal, see kind of really quickly a a scan of of the week and what you've written down, what you've checked off, what you didn't. And it just takes a few minutes to understand, Okay, you know what I would next time if, if a situation like that comes up, I'll probably I'd like to react a little bit differently or I'd like to respond instead of react or handle that conversation a bit differently. Again, they're just coming back to James Clear. They're, they're, his whole thing is always about just being 1% better, you know, and just some micro adjustments along the way. And, you know, full circle, we talked about the end of the year, big reflection. I mean, now it's not this giant, like grandiose thing of trying to review the whole year. You're doing this each week, making small little micro adjustments. You, you're clear because you're seeing what you're doing. You're seeing what works, what didn't work. And then most importantly, you're also leaving the week. You're bookending the week. And mm-hmm. now you're, you're releasing everything that would, could potentially just stew in your mind for the whole weekend, right? Because now you've just you've put the book in there and you've given it some thought. And it's 30 minutes that, again, can dictate basically the next two days, you know, if, you, if a lot of those thoughts are stewing. So what did I learn this week? What would I have changed this week? And what can I celebrate about this week? It's a great, uh, great weekly reflection. I like that you do it on a weekly basis because again, our lives are imperfect. Some days we're going to have days that aren't as successful as others and we have to be okay with that. And that's something that we had to work on. You know, sometimes you just have to do your best and sometimes your best isn't what you want. But at least you did your best. That way you have this reflection at the end of the week so you can look over the course of all the days rather than each individual day putting that much pressure on yourself. So I think these are really, really great questions. And I'm so excited for you to release your book. Like these are... These are powerful questions that are working for these powerful thinkers in the world. And and I, I know that even even yourself, like I see yourself as like such an influential figure, and I feel like there should be more questions oh, for you. about you in there as well. Uh, maybe that'll be your book number two. But yeah. uh, I have the final profile, so if anyone's interested, it's uh, it's actually the the calendar or the year end review, the whole system. So I plug that one in at the end. But uh, yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm still learning from others. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But you are a book in yourself. I feel like you, you know all the thought leaders out there and uh, I'm always learning from Thanks, you. Kelly. So so thank you. Uh, so where can our listeners connect with you and find your book? Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, the easiest place just to keep it simple is uh, my website, which is behindthehuman.com. All the book details are there, the podcasts there. And 
if you're on a, a corporate team or anything like that there's stuff for for corporate mental fitness activations as well so and all the socials are there so behindthehuman.com and let me know i mean whether whether you pick up the book or not let me know what questions have changed your life or that you're reflecting on so i as you can probably tell i'm a bit obsessed with collecting and curating these prompts from anyone because i uh you know what end, ends up happening is that then in specific situations as life comes uh, or life events unfold there's usually a question to help guide at least me and others through that so share away yeah you know what i'm going to do i'm going to to share a question on our social media and see yes. what people ask themselves each day to keep themselves mentally fit you know, and, and I'll, it. and I'll share the results with you, Mark. That'd be Please great. do. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much again. And I will definitely talk to you soon. This is great. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, Kelly. Cheers. Thank Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with mental fitness strategist and author Mark Champagne. And I hope you feel more inspired to make time to exercise your mind each day. And if you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend you check out our first conversation with Mark back in episode 47 titled Mental Minimalism, where we talk about different ways you can begin to declutter your mind to improve your mental health. Plus, you can find our second conversation in episode 63 titled Our Minimalist Story, where we share Mark's interview with us on his podcast called Behind the Human. And as always, you can learn more about Lauren and me on our website at mastersimplicity.com, where you can also find our latest product called The Closet Kit, which we designed to help you declutter your clothes and build and maintain a beautiful and simple wardrobe for a lifetime. And lastly, thank you to those of you who have left us a five-star rating and review on on iTunes. We read everyone and your words not only inspire us, but they also help our podcast grow. Thanks again for listening and I will speak with you soon. Bye-bye.